I'm really worried about vocal fry on this one because... Oh, I'm hearing it. Like a genius, I went to a club last night and might have partially lost my voice. <clears throat> Should we do this? Yes, let's do this. Back in 1995, there were a million California ska and ska punk bands. Let's Go Bowling, Save Ferris, Real Big Fish, Sublime, and the one with the strong female vocals that I was sure would hit it big, Dance Hall Crashers. Then there was this up-and-coming Orange County ska band formed in Anaheim way back in 1986. Their lead singer was this tiny blonde woman who could really belt, and in the mid-90s she'd recently broken up with their bassist, so presumably the band was doomed. No Doubt released their self-titled first album in 1991, and it didn't sell. Their label didn't drop them exactly, just left them to rot. So they went back to their garage and made another record, the Beacon Street Collection, and released it in spring of 1995. Yes, that's right. Tragic Kingdom is one of the best-selling albums of all time, and you definitely have Spiderwebs or Don't Speak stuck in your head right now, and it was the second album, No Doubt, released that year. Today on Hidden Jukebox, No Doubt's 1995 smash, Tragic Kingdom. But by the way, Dancehall Crashers are still great. And they're apparently one of a million ska punk bands to come out of uh, Southern California. Yeah, I think actually Dancehall Crashers was from Berkeley, but whatever. Also, that that was like a list of four, but who's going to list well, a million? Okay, but, but like, you know, Aquabats, um, <laughs> there were many Yeah, others. we're up to five. Okay. Um, the, the, I mean, Fishbone was earlier, but... But, but was considered part of the yeah, third wave of ska. Sure. And part of what's interesting about No Doubt to me to start things off is... They are considered part of the third wave, the first wave coming out of Jamaica in the late 60s, early 70s, mm-hmm. uh, the second wave coming out of I London. I think even earlier than that. It, it might have been a little bit earlier. Yeah. The second wave coming out of London in the late 70s, early 80s. And the bands that are kind of uh, associated with that are like sp- the specials, sure. Madness, The Beat. I would throw in The Clash and The Police, even though they never yeah, make lists. Yeah, for sure. Um, but kind of that dance hall reggae style feel with this punk backbeat to it. And then it somehow migrated to Southern California. And most of what we heard was between about 1990 and 1996. Sure. And yet no doubt was doing this style starting in the mid eighties. So maybe they were pioneers. Maybe there were a few bands doing this that we don't know about. Yeah. I think, I think probably that that's it, that that we just started hearing about it in the nineties. But if you had told me, one of the best-selling albums of all time, 16 million copies, mm-hmm. was a ska punk album. Yeah. I, I would have said it's not accessible And we'll, we'll get to that because it is and isn't a ska punk album. I think the, when I, you know, I haven't gone back and listened to this in a very long time until we got started preparing for this episode. And there is a lot of genres there are a lot of genres represented on this album. Like the the idea that uh, that this came up a lot with uh, with Lizzo's album that like you know now it's okay to do something that is that it like you know straddles seventeen genres or is like outside of genre in a way that wasn't okay in the past. This album does the same thing. I I think it's been done a lot. It's, oh yeah. It's just there are certain albums where people go yeah of course that that band was a genre bending band and. Nobody really says that about No Doubt. Yeah, and yet, we'll we'll get into this. Sure. Uh, so let's start with our, our memories of when this album came out and what was going on. Okay, so I was uh, in college, and I remember, I don't remember, it was probably my friend Kenji who was by far the most plugged into the 
Southern California music scene, and I was and I was going to college in Southern California, and I know, I don't know if he was a big No Doubt fan per se, but he definitely uh, knew knew about them and knew that their singer was someone really special. Right. I was in high school, and like the um, stereotypical high school male. Their first big hit was called Just a Girl, and I chose not to like it because I was like, well, this song doesn't speak to me at all. Right. Yeah. No, I remember driving around Portland like during the summer of 95, I guess it would have been. Um, And uh, and like that song was on the radio all the time. I'm like, I'm not sure about this. Yeah, it, it just wasn't for me. And then Don't Speak kind of became a major hit. And that didn't really feel like it was for me because I hadn't gone through a breakup yet in my life. Yeah. I, I didn't need a love song uh, or a lack thereof that it, it just didn't work for me. So really, when this album came out, I didn't give it a first or a second listen because they were not really my band. I, I still loved Pearl Jam and Nirvana. Yeah, I was yeah, really here. into Weezer at the time. You know, there were these male grunge bands yep. and alternative bands that I was listening to so much. And I kind of passed this by. Yeah. So let's let's uh, let's listen to some music um, before we go on because I want I want to get into talking about her voice, but I want to he- everyone to hear it first, sure. <laughs> as if you've never heard it before. Here for the first time, <laughs> right? So where, no where, doubt. Where should we start? Uh, why don't we pick one of yours? <laughs> okay, let's let's start with just a girl. It's got this really driving bass line, especially during the chorus, and it's this will be a jumping off point for listening to more songs, but one of the things about going back to this album is this band was really talented in terms of their musical abilities. Not just the, the... instrumentalists but gwen herself right like high high caliber musicians for being a garage punk band out of anaheim right and i think i had forgotten this because like gwen stefani has been famous as a celebrity as much as she is being famous as a singer for so long that i i really sort of forgot until going back to this that uh she is an incredibly good singer well She's been one of the, uh, uh, what's the right word here, hosts of The Voice for a few years now. And I don't think that they pick people to host The Voice that uh, Randy Jackson would go, I don't know, she's a little pitchy dog. Right, exactly. (laughs) But I mean, I think what's what's interesting to me about it is that like, you know, there there are a lot of people who are like technically good singers or who can really belt or whatever. But but this is someone who like by the time she had her first hit had established a very particular signature style such that like, you know, when you hear Gwen Stefani, you're you know, you're not hearing anyone else. That was the exact word I was going to use is is stylized. Yeah, she has got this 
kind of breathy thing that she does. She's got a high falsetto that she does. And then when she belts it, she's got this really, really strong diaphragmatic voice that she uses. So she's versatile in what she does, but she's got her own sound, which I've covered over and over again on the show. Yeah. That I love somebody that you can hear on the radio and even if you've never heard the song, you go, oh, well, I know exactly who this is. Right. So, like, I think I think of her like, you know, um, I, I love Courtney Love. Um, you know, Hole is one of my favorite bands. Uh, Courtney Love has has what I've heard described as a character voice uh, in the sense that, like, very recognizable, very signature style, you know, is not, is not, no one is going to say, like, is, is a technically great singer, but she, she gets in there and does what she needs to do, and you know it's Courtney Love, you know, versus someone like, you know, I, I am also a fan of... Um, Oh, her name just completely went out of my head. Um, call me maybe. What's what the fuck is her name? Uh, uh, Carly Rae Jepsen. Carly Rae Jepsen. Thank Boy, you. How did I come up with that? So, I'm impressed. Um, and and Carly Rae Jepsen is a is a very technically good singer who who sounds kind of like a lot of other singers, but is super fun to listen to. Gwen Stefani can do both of those things. Well, so so it brings up a point for me, which is. How does somebody learn to do that with, you know, using their influences, but coming up with their own sound? I doubt that's a good question. I doubt that that she sat in her bedroom for years going, how am I going to create my own sound? It's something that naturally happens, I think. But it's it's very, very tough to do. It's not something that you think about. It's just you start doing your thing, performing and you let your influences come through, but you bring as much of yourself as possible. Yeah, and also I think it probably developed like in concert with with the the band and the music like you know she was you know listening listening to herself and and you know, okay this you know the thing I just did sounded good with uh, with what the rhythm section is playing I'm going to do more of that. Well, she's one of the better ones at it. Yeah. Let's talk about her brother for a minute. Okay. Eric Stefani. Uh he was a member of the band starting early on at kind of formed it with her in 86, 87, and was with the band through most of the making of this album. And what's interesting to me when reading about them is he was their principal songwriter. Everything they did kind of right. went through Eric. And, and Just a Girl was was one of the first songs, if not the first song, that uh, that Gwen wrote without Eric. He was their keyboardist. Right. And you you hear a lot of driving keyboards on this album, but it's funny to me that they could not reach success when everything was getting written by him, even though all of them talk about, well, we couldn't do shit without him. Right. And then the second that he leaves the fray, they create all of these huge hits. Yeah, and I feel like this this is a thing that that uh, happens with other bands, like like someone leaves the band who you feel like is indispensable, and then it turns out fine. Pete Best, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he just wasn't the best, unfortunately. Yeah, so I was thinking about like who who are other singers who who can do both, like have the technical range and and like the signature sound, and like a few that that came to mind were Kate Bush, I think yeah. definitely, um, Joanna Newsom. Oh yeah, uh, both singers in Slater Kinney, um, and I think Natalie Merchant maybe. I I thought you were saying Kate Bush and Joanna Newsom are both singers in Slater Kinney. I'm like, <laughs> that that's totally wrong, man. I guarantee that's not true. <laughs> no, it, I I found it saw it on the internet. It's true. It, it's got to be true. Abraham Lincoln said it. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, Kate Kate Bush and Slater and uh, and Joanna Newsom were the singers in Dance Hall Crashers. Uh- <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm going to have to go back and listen to that band. Mm-hmm. Definitely underrated. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one more thing about uh, Eric Stefani that, oh, okay, that yeah. I loved that I that I found out is when he left the band, he went on to be an animator and he animated for The Simpsons and, and for Ren and Stimpy. Wow. Two of my favorite shows yeah. in history. And, you know, not That's that so it weird. has anything to do with the band, but going on to another really big career outside of it. Is that weirder or less weird than when we learned that Matt Sorum was in Tori Amos's first band? <laughs> Nothing will ever be that weird. Okay. <laughs> okay, let's listen to another song. Okay, please. Uh, I want to listen to Spiderwebs. It's the opening track from the album. Great. There's a lot of cool sounds on this record, like even even just in this song, like this, like it introduces you to like the sound palette they're they're going to use on the album. There's there's something some sort of like wangy wangy kind of Ottawa kind of sound that they use a lot. But in the in the riff that uh, that plays at the beginning of the verse, uh, the guitarist who's the guitarist, by the way, um, the guitar player is Tom. Well, you like that, Tom I mean, Dumont. Tom Dumont, thank you. Is is playing with a bunch of uh, of pick harmonics, which like, those like squealy like sounds um which is a technique where you you like make the string vibrate in in such a way as to produce a, an unexpectedly high note by kind of brushing your thumb or finger against the string while picking and it's a technique that I've never known how to do but recently there was this solo that I wanted to learn to play that has one of those in there so I'm like I'm going to learn to do this yes Jake well just in case uh, our listeners don't know I play music myself I'm in a band oh yeah really uh, and our guitar player loves throwing in pick or pinch harmonics yeah. just randomly, which is funny because we play hip hop. Mm-hmm. And one of the places that you don't really see pinch harmonics is in hip hop. And he does it really, really well. And yeah. always looks over at me and gives that smile like, did, yeah. you, did you hear what I just did? Yeah, your guitarist is great. <laughs> um, anyway, so I've been learning I've been learning this skill. And I realized as as I was like, you know, you got to like kind of crank up the volume and crank up the distortion and just like keep making this terrible sound over and over. That Like if by the time this episode airs, I'm found murdered in my apartment, it, all of my neighbors conspired to do it like in Murder on the Orient Express. <laughs> and it's completely justified. Stop. Fucking doing that! <laughs> like I, I can. It would be hard for me to think of like a worse sound to hear coming out of your neighbor's apartment. So you're welcome. Well, uh, I'm getting better. I I can't wait to not hear that. Just uh-huh. so you know. <laughs> um, so it opens up with this horn line that's very much that third wave ska type of thing, catchy guitar line. Then it comes into that punk style chorus. Yep. It it embodies what they're trying to do. What's fascinating is. 
they recorded this album over the course of three years in a, 11 studios. Right. Now, back to me having some experience playing music, it is really, really difficult to jump from studio to studio, especially back in this pre-Pro Tools day, with recorded tapes and make something sound cohesive. And you what listen about through this um, album. Foo Fighters? What is it called? Lost Highways? <laughs> something like that. That's after Pro Tools. <laughs> okay. then, then you can take it to some stupid kid's basement and, and produce it down there, and it's going to sound exactly the oh, same. Oh, come on, come on. Uh, Foo Fighters wouldn't use Pro Tools. They're so organic. Oh, actually, that, uh, anyway, that might be true. That, that, that album is totally not cohesive at all, <laughs> okay. so, so your point is <laughs> yeah, moot. That was my point. Uh, but uh, this, this album works really, really well as a whole, and to try and do that, over the course of three years in 11 different studios yeah. is tough. You listen to this right after Just a Girl, and they feel and sound like they belong on the exact same album. Yeah. And so I, I love that part of the album as a whole, and part of why we do this show about 90s albums is finding these albums that work as a whole and not just here's a single, here's a single, right. and here's a bunch of filler crap in between it. Having said that, this is one of my favorite songs on the record, and this was the one that when I started hearing it on the radio, I was like, okay, yeah, I do like this. This one is written by Gwen and her ex-boyfriend at the time, Tony Canal, the mm-hmm. bass player for the album, uh, for No Doubt, and it's about a stalker who used to sit outside her window and read poetry, apparently, and I figure that she and Tony wrote it together because he's like, finally a song that's not about her hating me. <laughs> right. It's about her hating somebody else. Yeah. No, it's it's funny that like there's so many, there's a bunch of songs in here about like her breakup with the bass player that she continued to play with for years and years. Still after. does. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, they technically haven't broken up. They're, okay. st- they're still the same nice. four core members. They, they've stayed together this entire time. And not that people can't do that, but- yeah. To sit through an album where this this woman is writing all the lyrics about somebody in the band and how he, they've completely broken each other's hearts, and he just sits there and goes, "Okay, uh, what do you think of this baseline for this song about me?" Do you do you know the band The Rosebuds? I don't. Okay, they they're an indie, they were an indie rock band from some southern state. Uh, very good. Uh, and uh, my favorite Rosebuds album is called Birds Make Good Neighbors. And uh, Pitch- Pitchfork gave it a very enthusiastic review. And it's all about how the uh, like the two main people in the band, um, Ivan and Kelly, uh, were so in love. And like their love was coming. You know, they were married and their love was coming through on the record. And Pitchfork was like, and I can't and we can't wait to hear the divorce album, which followed, I think, two albums later. And then they continued to work together and, no and made, like, like, I think, like, th- three albums post-divorce before the band broke up. Okay. All quite good. So, so uh, the White Stripes. Yeah. Are they brother and sister, or are they husband, wife, or are they exes? Exes. I'm positive. I know this. Did you talk- You're not going to you, you Jack about this? shazam me on this. I- uh, did okay, I talk to Jack that's, about that's this? That's not what Shazam is for, number one. <laughs> You're not going to Mandela affect me on this. <laughs> His name is Jack Berenstain. <laughs> Berenstain Bear or? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I I thought that was never, uh, you know, uh, confirmed or denied. Oh, I don't care. <laughs> I, I, I don't care either, but I was trying to think of other couple bands. Oh, Fleetwood Mac. 
Okay. If we yeah, go back, yeah, there's a band where everybody yes. slept with everybody else, and some were married at the time, and they've somehow stayed together over the years. Yeah, kind of, like on and off. On, sure. on and off. Not anymore, but uh, this band made that work and made a hit album off the fact that two members of the band had broken up, basically. Yeah. I don't know if we mentioned yet, this album sold 16 million copies. We did, but you can't you can't say it enough. Well, I want, I want to make a point about that. We recently did uh, R.E.M.'s Out of Time. Yes. Not that recently, but like uh, eight, eight, nine months ago, you know, sure. 16 years ago, we did an, an episode about Out of Time, mm-hmm. and Losing My Religion was argu- arguably the biggest hit of that year. Yeah. That album sold 4.2 million copies. All right. To put that in perspective, this album sold four times as many copies. Yeah, it was huge. It's still one of the most enormous albums of all time. Have you listened to the new uh, Monster 25th Anniversary Deluxe Edition? I have not, because I didn't love that album in the first place. Oh, I like I like it. Um, there. Sorry, Rich. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Um, there's some good. There's some good. Like uh, you know stuff from the vault on it but there's also a complete uh scott lit remix where he takes the vocals way up and it's not good <laughs> why is it not good it it just it sounds badly mixed okay. okay so uh but i don't know go check that out i guess uh what do you want to listen to next i would like to listen to don't speak So much going on here. Uh, all right, I just noticed just now listening to it that the uh, the intro keyboard riff is a completely lifted from Hearts Alone. I've been right? trying to figure out I, what it is I, 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 while the song is playing. I'm like, I, I'm trying to listen to what's playing now, but I have my brain keeps going back to the that's beginning. Exactly that's exactly what, what I'm it doing. is. It's it's that's what it is. <laughs> Which is a fucking fantastic it's song. It's a great song. I, can I can I say like recently? Um, for whatever reason, uh, uh, my wife Lori was like, uh, "Hey, we never listened to Heart. We should put on like a Heart Greatest Hits." And I'm like, "Yeah, we should put on Heart Greatest Heart's Greatest Hits. We can listen to like those four or five songs that were those their big hits. Those are all great songs." Oh no, it's like 14 songs. They were huge hit makers. Yeah, Heart fucking rules. Uh, I spent two different shows on stage with Roger Fisher, the uh-huh. old guitar player from oh, Heart. Yeah. Oh, what a great guitarist. And a total nutbag. Mm-hmm. He is insane. Uh, he was great. I mean, he really knows how to yeah. play guitar. And I'm like 
playing on stage and looking over and going, holy shit, I'm playing with Roger Fisher. That's from amazing. Heart. But then we would get off stage and he'd start talking to me. I'm like, this guy has got to stop talking to me right now. <laughs> Why? What are you, what, no, no more, please. He, he would not <laughs> shut up. <laughs> And the things that you would say you ha- were the type of stuff that you you had absolutely no response to. Sure. Man, you guys were awesome. I just got this guitar. It was made by this weird guy up in Linwood, and I love it. And it's got this weird sound that does this and that. And you're like, I think. Cool, Roger Fisher. Doesn't, doesn't our dad have a guitar that was made by a weird guy up in Linwood? Probably, okay. but he can probably talk about it with a little bit more eloquence than Roger Fisher Maybe. can talk about his. Um, okay, but back to Don't Speak. I, I, that was not meant to be a criticism of Don't Speak, which I, which I also think is a terrific song. Um, one one thing I feel like you, no one mentions about this album is that is the there's a lot of Latin influence on this song, like the guitar on the on the chorus. That's that's not like a ska sound. That's a that's a Latin guitar sound. Sure, and we said that we were going to talk about this album being a little bit genre busting yeah. even though it's thought of as a ska punk album and we're going to listen to you can do it in a minute yeah. which is definitely a departure from the rest of the album's sound uh this one i always really got the latin influence especially yeah. on the guitar solo in the center oh of course yes i, I wish we had gotten to the bridge on this no we, doubt we, this is our show we can play whatever we want really <laughs> Yeah, no doubt is so good at writing bridges. It is so hard to write something that falls in the center of a song, feels like it belongs there, creates a oh, bridge yeah. between the first and second part, the final part, and this song has this amazing build into the bridge that is so cool. Yeah, let's play that because a lot of times I can think of like a lot of songs that I really love where the bridge is perfunctory and just like, well, we had to write a middle eight here. Exactly. Okay, let me find it. Um, I don't. I think I thought this song was cheesy when it came out. Probably this is now my favorite song on the record. Like the the amount of harmonic tension that they are able to summon on this song just really does it for me. Hey Tom, why don't you take the solo on a nylon string acoustic uh-huh. guitar? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> it comes out great. Uh, Matthew made a note here that says, "I sure love a power ballad." <laughs> I do. Well. I, okay. we're gonna, I know we're going to argue about whether this is a power ballad. No, right? actually not at oh, all. Okay. I was going to make a completely different point. Oh, okay. I remember watching an episode of VH1's Behind the Music a few years back that instead of being about a band was about 80s hair metal. Okay. And they made this really interesting point that the labels at the time made it almost a requirement that not only did you put a power ballad on your album, but your first single was a rock song like hey here's our right. metal band and the second single was a power ballad okay and it would happen over and over again guns and roses sweet child of mine it's not exactly a ballad but it came right. after welcome to the jungle uh warrant uh heaven yep 
um, Cinderella. Yes, I was trying to remember what the Cinderella song was also. I, um, Long Cold Winter was the album, I it think. It was Long Cold Winter. Oh, don't know what you got to right, it's right, gone. Right, right, of course. Yeah, and the, uh, uh, Every Rose Has Its Thorn. Yeah, exactly. Like, like it would happen over and over mm-hmm. again. And it's funny to me that the label did this with this album, and it still worked. It, it was like, I don't know if it was a way of, of saying, hey, this band has versatility, or if it was... I hate to say it, but a sexist thing where it was like, well, we've drawn in the men with some hard rock riffs. Sure. Now let's draw in the women with some love songs. Um, this this album came out at a time when you could keep releasing singles over several years from an album. Like, I don't think you can do that anymore. Can you? Uh, what What you can do now. What is a single even anymore? Well... Nowadays, you don't have to release an album. You right. can just put put a song out. Yes. So technically, you could release seven singles and then throw them together and go, well, now it's an album. Yeah. So it's it's putting an album together in reverse almost. But even Lizzo, as you mentioned. Right. Her, her the, biggest hit is not on the album. And was released three years ago. Yeah. And all of a sudden, she catches on and the number one song in, yeah. in the world is a song that's three years old. Yep. So there's no rules anymore. They've all gone out the window. Yeah. Um, let's listen to uh, You Can Do It real quick because I want to kind of cover this genre-busting thing. Okay. the idea yeah we, we didn't even get to the chorus <laughs> I but, know. but it, it's not a great chorus like right the, the point of the song isn't that the point of it is this kind of throwback 70s funk thing. yes and this song is written by the entire band it's most likely a song that gwen wrote lyrics about hey tony get over it let's move on and, right and put together an album but i was a big fan of jamiroquai back sure. in these days and it's totally got that horn-driven keyboard funk thing going on that Jamiroquai was so good at. Yeah. But I I can hear this song being, like, in the soundtrack to, like, Shaft. Yes, absolutely. And I think this is the kind of thing you can do, like, when when your big breakout album comes, like, nine years into your career. Because I remember, like, 
One one time, uh, like a band I was in in the mid '90s, we were auditioning for a drummer, and uh, I met up with this uh, drummer who seemed really cool, and we got along really well. And she's like, "Great, I'll listen to your demo and get back to you." And uh, she listened to the demo, got back to us, like, "She's like, yeah, you guys just kind of play a lot of power chords. Like, I've done that. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, that's that's fair. <laughs> like, I, I've I've never like gotten to the point where I would be able to bust out a song like this. I that's what impresses me so much about it is here's this band that that seems to be going down one track like this is what we do which i really really appreciate when a band can keep writing things that sound inherently like them Mm -hmm. but to then take a strong left turn and be like hey let's do a 70s throwback funk song and be able to really pull it off is it's not easy i've been yeah i've been in a lot of bands and you know you stick to your sound you you've got these people who you play with constantly and it's hard to go let's try and do something completely out of the box oh yes my first band we talked about doing like for like a halloween party or something rebranding ourselves as funk wagon for a night and and like doing some funk songs and then you realized, discovered that there had already been three bands called funk wagon and you couldn't first of all yes yes we talked about uh we we wanted to like uh roll up on a flatbed trailer <laughs> that would be the funk wagon yeah it quickly we realized oh this like we don't know how to play these songs and and uh, we're not going to learn how in time for halloween <laughs> uh side note uh-huh i've always had a basic rule that i will be in a funk or soul band as long as it doesn't have the word funk or soul in the name that's that seems reasonable it, yeah it's like it seems to be a requirement of funk bands oh we're the funk hunters uh, oh we're five fingers <laughs> so of funk yeah we're so live right like, it's like can't you guys come up with something completely different what if every rock band had rock in the name <laughs> Actually, I think that'd be pretty that'd be entertaining. Pretty like, like you start exhausting the ideas, and the way that you throw rock into your name mm-hmm. is it gets better and better as time goes on. Yeah, we're the we're the rock hunters for the rock lobsters. We're we're the rock flatbed trucks. <laughs> All right. How about we listen to "End It on This." This one was new to me. Like, I love this song. I think it's great. And I, not that it has to do with anything, but I really love how it's called Ended on This. And, and it's not the it's last not song. The last, right. last song of the album. It's the, is the second to last song? It's, it's the penultimate song. Awesome. And, and, and I'm like, or let's not end it on this. Um, I love the opening riff. Uh, one thing that I really enjoy about this song is that I like a song that's that's like kind of a uh, an up tempo song that manages to like work in piano in a very rock kind of way. 
Um, the band that I think of that, that is so good at this is White Rabbits. Oh, but, yeah. Um, but uh, like the when that piano comes in, I'm like, oh, that's just what I needed. Well, even the arpeggiations that yeah. it's doing on the chorus, it's it's subtle enough that it doesn't jump out at you and go, whoa, that's a little bit much for what's supposed to be a ska punk song. But when you notice that it's there, it's like, oh, that is really, really cool yeah. texturing. It's again, it it comes back to this whole they were really, really good musicians. Yeah. Like the bass line that Tony is playing mm-hmm. through this, he's doing these uh, embellishments that sound so, so cool. He uses a lot of compression on his bass tone, and he's just a really, really solid bass player. All, all of them really, really good. Yeah. Uh, so I want to jump straight to the song that comes after okay, this, the yeah. final track on the album, Tragic Kingdom. Remain seated, please. Once was a magical place, over time it was lost. Press increase the cost. Now the fortune of the kingdom is locked up and it's subject The castle floors and tracks were core by Get that big chromatic descent. Yes. Do, 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 do. Yeah, pretty cool. Here's how much of an idiot I am. Uh huh. I've known about this album for what? Oh, almost I, 25 if you're years. You're about to say what I think you're going to say. And I never, ever until this week realized that Tragic Kingdom was a play on Magic Kingdom. <laughs> Guess what? You're dumb. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know, you know what? I think I think like it was years after the album came out that I realized it. Um you know what this song is? This is it's the Battle of Evermore but based on the Walt Disney mythos rather than Lord of the Rings. Well, I I'm sitting there listening to it going first going it almost feels like a terrifying carousel ride. Yeah, it's like calliope music. Yeah. And then started listening to lyrics I'm like Pay homage to a king whose dreams are buried in their minds. I'm like, oh, oh, that guy. oh they're from Anaheim, yes. and it's about the seedy underbelly of Disneyland. And the whole album is is based on the fact that they grew up in Anaheim by this place that was 
you know, a magnet for children, but was also a monument to consumerism. Yeah. Can we talk for a second about the, about No Doubt album covers? Sure. Because uh, this this album and the next, like, I feel like they they were like, this one, we're going to put a bunch of stuff on the cover of the album. Yeah. <laughs> and then the next one, they're like, we're going to put more stuff. Because <laughs> what makes a good album? A bunch a of bunch stuff. A bunch of stuff. Like, but again, like, it's not... <laughs> It definitely like there there is an aesthetic that looks like a no doubt album. <laughs> well, this song has a bunch of stuff thrown into it. Yeah. There, there is so much going on here. And this because I didn't listen to this album back in the day, I don't think I got all the way to this song. So when I went back and listened, it got to this at the very end and I just went, Whoa, this is such a departure from everything else and is really complex and everything that's going on in Mm -hmm. it like i don't even know what genre to throw this into it's not it's not really ska or punk it it's calliope circus music yeah but they do it so well and there's like there's this whole speed up thing at the end of the song Uh that is so cool and and totally like hey now you're on a ride and it's going completely out of control yeah exactly it it's frenetic it's it's a departure from everything else. It's like a rock opera. Yeah, I, it's I like what it. if we made a song that sounds like what it would feel like if you died on a ride at Disneyland? Exactly. Pretty cool. It, it, it's it's uh, better than writing songs about breaking up with your bass player. Well, I mean, it's better than writing like the eighth song about breaking up with your bass player because most of the songs are pretty good. So after uh, this album, yeah. I would hardly say that No Doubt faded into obscurity. They had a, a simple kind of life off the yeah, next album. Okay. They they had a, a couple of more minor hits. Gwen came on to be went on to be a superstar. Yeah, uh, on very her own successful with, without solo the band. Yes, um, she did that song with Eve mm-hmm. that was big, um, and and she became kind of a personality. The band has survived in terms of of still being together. Yeah, they released an legacy. album like a few years ago, right? Uh, Two thousand eleven, I think. Okay, so it, it's been quite a while. Um, but they they left a really lasting impression in terms of what they did, and I wouldn't say that they were like major influences on on bands after them. But when you think back to this era, which they were kind of bridging the gap between the punk movement of the early 90s where it was like no effects and bad religion and no means no and all of these right uh the ska the ska movement and then that swing era movement that happened a little after this with like big bad voodoo daddy true and yeah, Brian that's Setzer a good point. orchestra and cherry pop and daddies right. which i still to this day don't know can't, how, how can't believe there was a how, band with that name right? how do you get a, get away with that name like uh-huh. how do you not have protesters outside of every one of your shows I know it's great. It's also terrible. Uh, so, so they had their place in time, and unlike a lot of other bands that we've covered, it's hard for me to point at anybody who came after them or more recently and go, "Well, that band wouldn't have existed without No Doubt." But in terms of a time capsule of what was going on at the time and what a great and successful album it is. I think that years from now, people will still be listening to this album and, and absolutely it will totally hold up because it it doesn't sound dated at this point. It doesn't sound like, oh, well, there's that 90s sound and nobody That's does true. that anymore. That's true. That's interesting. Like it it is 
it it holds up very well, which is is difficult to do. There's a lot of '70s albums that, even though I love them, you go, "Well, that was obviously made in the '70s." Yeah, that's true. What what about it do you think gives it that that sound that that durability? Well, I was trying to think about what it was about it in the first place that made it sell 16 million albums. And the only thing that I could come up with was the song Don't Speak. That definitely was a big part of it. But really, I think it's lyrics that are timeless. Yeah. Um, they actually mean something. Yeah, Sorry, I mean, Oasis. someone's breaking up with a bassist right now. Yeah, ex- <laughs> I've been through it many, many times before. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> you know, when, when kids are putting together their first bands these days, it's still bass, guitar, drums, and vocals. So that's a timeless thing. Mm-hmm. They're using basic song form, AABA, which everybody is still doing. There, There's nothing that is dated about th- that or the sound of it. Like, nothing about it sounds like it was recorded on a four track. It's really well produced. Right. Like, the vocals are really well done. So there's, there's nothing about it that's like, well, you can tell that it was recorded before this era and... Nobody writes songs like this anymore, and that it's it's not topical to today's topics. Right, but it's not it's not just yeah. Because I was thinking, like like I mean, I know we were going to almost get through the whole show without mentioning this guy, but uh, but like you know, Bush Sixteen Stone came out around the same time, and I guess I guess that album has terrible lyrics, and that's part of why it feels so dated. But yeah, like, there's there's a lot of albums from this era, yeah. era that do do feel dated. Yeah. There is one more thing I want to touch on because yeah. neither of one more thing too. Neither of us wrote it down and I'm okay. kind of shocked and I want to know why to be perfectly honest with the listener, we try to pick bands with female members or female vocalists so that we make sure that we're not doing only male shows because there the 90s were so dominated by male bands. But no doubt, despite having a female vocalist, we didn't once cover the fact that this is, uh, you know, an injection of female rock into things like we didn't really talk about that. And I think part of that is because Gwen Stefani holds her own so well in this whole genre and this whole era that she wasn't breaking any barriers. She just was almost one of the guys. Well, but I mean, just just a girl was like, a you know, a big first hit single with with you know feminist lyrics like um <laughs> i i'm pretty sure this really happened like when i'm thinking about it like this can't be this can't really be happened right but uh definitely i when that song came out um i had someone tell me that they um they completely missed that it was ironic how i don't know <laughs> Like what? <laughs> you 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 think you think this is a song really about, <laughs> about just being a girl, right? Um. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's not that this was not a a feminist venture. But how do you do a feminist venture with a band with three guys or four guys and and a girl? Be, because it, because it was a you know a a woman uh you know out in front of the band singing singing a, a song about uh being a woman in society um you know i went back and watched some live videos okay. from the tragic kingdom tour and 
man, could she perform. She oh, yeah. was all over the stage. I challenge anybody, male or female, to work that hard for two to three hours and not completely exhaust themselves. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that had to do with cocaine or something else, but <laughs> who knows? But it was really, really impressive. Yeah. Um, so speaking of female fronted bands, can we get serious at the end here? Like the radio station, or like... can we get Sirius XM? Yes. Yeah. No, you can you can joke over my serious bit. It's fine. Okay. Um. Are do you know the band The Muffs? Yes. Okay. Um. The Muffs are one of my all time favorite bands. Um. And uh, they made several great albums in the '90s and a few albums here and there since. And uh, Kim Shattuck, the uh, leader of the Muffs, who is someone I've always thought of as not just a great singer and guitarist, but like sort of if I if I imagine like what what you get when you look up rock star in the dictionary, it's her. Uh, she died a couple months ago. By the time you hear this, it'll be like a few months ago. And um, she died of ALS, which ran in her family. And so at the time she was diagnosed, which was like two years ago, she she was like, okay, was able to say like, okay, you know, this is definitely going to kill me. But right now I have time to record one last album with my band. And that could have been, could have ended up like, very hard to listen to either because it was just sad or like if it wasn't very good that would be hard to take but the album came out two weeks after she died and it's fantastic um it's called no holiday you can get it anywhere you listen to music i highly recommend it that's awesome what does it have to do with no doubt uh no it's just a 90s band it has nothing to do with no doubt got it it's uh, just this is our show about '90s music. I I hear you. Well, then then my point doesn't work, which was going to be David Bowie released an album. Yes, I know. It's 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 like Black Star. That that was great. Yes. What one day before he died, or right. one day after? Okay, so if it's a contest, Bowie wins. <laughs> I wasn't trying to make it about that, but I am going to go back and listen to to the new. Or fairly new Muffs album. Yeah, it's really good. It's a little bit different from their other stuff, but not too different. Um, and yeah, so like to me, to me, like that's if if you want to if you want to go out like a hero and and you know being a rock musician is your thing. Like, I I feel like you can't do any better than that. Nice. All oh, right. Okay. Hey, we've got an Instagram page. We do. It's jukebox hidden. Ooh, okay. What do uh, we what do we post there? Uh, we post album covers and we post the links to each episode as they come out. And we'd love for you to go and follow us on there. Let's post like a five second video of me trying to do pick harmonics. That sounds like a great idea. Mm-hmm. We'll post a lot of old videos of me playing bass because I don't think I've mentioned yet that I do that. <laughs> Um, and we also have a Facebook page. Uh, you can look us up under Hidden Jukebox on Facebook and like us over there because we're really lonely and we <laughs> love some people to like us. Uh, yeah, and uh, and post like you know suggest albums we should do. Like you don't need to suggest Third Eye Blind. We've already we've already received that uh, suggestion and written it down in a special place where we never have to look at it. Somebody suggested uh, Dave Matthews Under the Table and Dreaming to me last night. Oh, I, I think s- we should do that. And I said I think we're going to do that. Like I, what one thing that I like about this show is that it forces me to like give a serious listen to things that I might not have otherwise. Well, she said to me, and sorry to go off on a tangent here at the end, but she said to me, uh, I used to listen to that album every morning when I would wake up and it would... <laughs> I would wake up under a table. <laughs> and it would 
basically get my day going. And it meant so much to me back then. And that's the type of thing that I love to hear. And part of why we do this show is the memories created by these time capsules from back in the day. Yeah. All right. Uh, We'll put it on the list. Third Eye Blind, not so much. Maybe someday. Uh, (laughs) All right. Also, hiddenjukebox.com. You can find us there. And until next time, I'm Jake Amster. And I'm Matthew Amster-Burton.